I'm sure I'm not alone when I ask why. Why? Why? Why God is another question, but also why? 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 Why is a good question. If you're going to search for understanding, you need to ask why. Why does that work like that? Why did that happen? Why are they doing what they're doing? Why is a great question, but it can also be the root question to actually confusion and disappointment. Because if your why is rooted in an unfulfilled expectation, it can be a focus for your undoing. Why is a good question, but we need to be careful in our whys. Because sometimes our, our expectations are a problem. Now, I'm not saying don't have expectations. I'm saying have expectations, you know. But sometimes we get a little bit distracted by them. You see, because I think the word why is often, or maybe, yeah, it's often the root reason for people walking away from following Jesus. Uh, Because he hasn't fulfilled their expectation. Why have you allowed this to happen? Why has that not happened? Why have you allowed my best friend to be really poorly? Why have you allowed my dog to die? Why have you allowed my bank balance to be empty? Why have you not filled my car with petrol when I'm praying, Lord, give me double portion right now as I'm filling my car with fuel? Maybe it's just me that prays those crazy prayers. <laughs> Lord, I can't afford... Please, would you miraculously fill my car? I mean, he hasn't yet done it. Why? Why, why, why? Why haven't you done this? Why haven't you been there? Why were, why were they like that? And how on earth can they get away with that? Do you not have these questions? Do you have these questions? I have these questions. I... I have them because I have expectations. I have expectations of people's behavior. I think they should be honorable and behave correctly and be kind and nice to me and not horrible and unpleasant and tell untruths. Well, maybe it's just me that gets those kind of things uh, happening to me, but I don't think it's just me. Let me tell you what I'm going to tell you. And then I'm going to tell you about it. And then at the end, I'm going to tell you what I've told you. Is that okay? So this is what I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk to you about being kind to yourself. I'm going to talk about letting yourself off a hook of unreal expectations. But I'm going to challenge you to still trust and still hope and still believe. But I'm going to challenge you to let God do the things that he wants to do in and through your life, his way, not your way. All right? Okay, that doesn't mean I'm going to teach you how to be a robot. I'm going to teach you to have realistic expectations. And when your expectations are kind of unfulfilled, how to handle that. Okay? That's what I want to do. And I'm going to use the, um, the account of John the Baptist having a question 
Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Because it, I'm confused. John the Baptist, not me. Uh, I have sometimes confused, but in this moment, I'm not. So John's expectations were, well, they're, they're outlined in Matthew chapter 3. Let's have a look. See, in the Proverbs, it says this. Proverbs 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Okay, and we pause there. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So it's not about not having expectations. It's about having expectations that are actually accurately and uh, purposefully focused. But John the Baptist has certain expectations. John the Baptist is a unique character in all of Scripture, in all of, in all of the kingdom of God, actually. He's quite unique because he's a man, he's a prophet, who straddled two epochs, two moments in history. He straddled the old covenant and the new covenant. So he's a, a prophet in the style of Elijah. He's an Old Testament type of prophet, but he's actually communicating and ushering in the new covenant of God. So he's looking back and understanding, this is my calling. I'm called to be one who shouts in the wilderness. Make way, there's a kingdom of, the kingdom of God is coming. Make way, make way. He's there to pronounce, he's there to announce. But let's have a quick look at what he, what he sees his role as and what defines him and what actually defines his expectations. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. So you get this shouty guy in the, in the desert making a lot of noise, and getting a lot of attention. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. His, the, for food, he ate locusts and wild honey. He is a spectacle. He's a spectacle. He looks like a crazy man. He, he's shouting, and he's dressed weirdly, and he's living off the land, and he's eating things that maybe other people didn't eat. But he is a spectacle, and here he is proclaiming, clear the road, he's coming, make way. Verse 5, for people from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and from all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and to hear John. They went to see and to hear. They wanted to look at this crazy man but they also wanted to hear what this crazy man was saying. And when, they, um, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the River Jordan. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Remember, he's shouty, and he's shouting really offensive things. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. exclaimed. 
Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the root from the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I am uh, that I am not worthy to even be his slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. With fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with, ever, with a never-ending fire. Oh, man. This is a hellfire and brimstone preacher, if ever there was one. Holding nothing back, he is determined to rattle the cages of these religious people. And he thinks that God... This is the message of God. This is what he's saying. The kingdom of God is coming. The Messiah is coming. And then we hear him declaring, there he is, there he is. And then he's there at the baptism of Jesus. And, and so this man knows that the Messiah is coming. But he thinks the Messiah is going to be this feisty, fiery, fire-breathing warrior king that rides on a horse, not a donkey who comes to actually sort out the people, to boot the Romans out, to reestablish the kingdom of God in the nation, and to put righteousness at the, at the heart of the religion of the nation. And he's upended, completely upended. And we know that he's upended because, you see, a few chapters later, chapter 11, John's in prison. And John in prison is now hearing about what Jesus is doing. He's announced this fiery Messiah is coming to do this kind of winnowing of the people, sorting out the wheat from the chaff and burning up those that are inappropriate or whatever. But, he's, but then he begins to hear stories about what Jesus is doing. And he's confused. He's really confused. You see, he knows his role. He knows his call, and he knows God. But actually, this Messiah that he's been announcing is actually doing something that's absolutely the opposite to what he thought the Messiah would do. This this Messiah was coming to set a nation free, to to set people free, to reestablish God's principles and practices on earth as they are in heaven. And it was going to look like this. I'm going to sort you out, you scumbags. You miseries. You no good people. I'm going to sort you out. And then he hears about this Messiah partying with Matthew and his cronies when he's locked up in prison. Jesus, surely you should, how come you're not coming to set me free? 
how come you're not coming to overturn these people that have imprisoned me because I'm doing your bidding? They don't like me. How come you're not rescuing me? You're busy partying. You're actually turning water into wine at a wedding and, and partying. You're actually going to church and you're healing people. You're setting people free from demonic influence. You're, you're repairing broken bodies with your power and bringing transformation to their circumstances. And what about me? What about me? See, his expectations were that the kingdom of God would come, but it was going to look like this, this, and this. And actually, it was looking like this, this, and this. And he's confused. Why? Why on earth is it happening like that when I thought it was going to happen like this? See, let's just look at this. Uh, Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, that was when Jesus was preparing the disciples to be sent out. Have any of you been watching The Chosen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Chosen 3? Oh, I've been just looking at, I've been dipping into it at the moment because I'm, I'm, I'm searching out the bits that I'm thinking about. And I was watching this morning really early. I was watching Jesus talking to the disciples about, well, guys, listen, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out because uh, we're going to get more done if you go out. And they're all looking at each other to say, well, actually, we're not trained. He says, no, 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 you don't need to be trained. You don't need to take a coat or any money or any food. You're going to be sorted. And if people reject you and then just walk away, kick the dust off your feet, blah, blah, blah. And they're, going, they're looking at each other to, as if to say, this guy is mad. What is he doing? And, you, and the, the way that the actors portray the, the scenario is I find fascinating because the, all the unspoken, the nonverbal communication of the actor's playing the parts of the disciples and of Jesus, I just find fascinating. It makes me think about how they would have been feeling and acting and their expectations. Their expectations were that he's going to prepare us and train us and then when we're fully ready, he'll send us out as a team. But their expectations were being kind of smashed. I'm sending you in twos. Not in a group of 12, but in twos. And you'll be okay you'll be okay you'll be okay and he's raising their expectations but trying to also refocus their expectations but anyway that's a a thing for another day because let's come back to John when Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region John the Baptist who was in prison heard about all the things the Messiah was doing so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Why does he ask that? It's because his expectation of what the Messiah would look like was different to what he was hearing. And his, according to him, he's thinking, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm wrong. Maybe there's somebody else coming and maybe you're not the one. And Jesus' response to him is just brilliant. Jesus says, um, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, 
Those who with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. That's an interesting little twist. Go and tell him what you see, guys. Go and tell him what you've seen. You know, there's all these things. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the leprosy is being cured, the dead are being raised. But also, oh, and by the way, the good news is being preached. The kingdom is advancing. But just remind him that God blesses those who don't fall away because of me or are offended by me, different translations, or stumble because of me. You see, sometimes our why will cause us to stumble because he hasn't fulfilled my expectation. I thought I deserved healing. I've got a friend uh, called Matthew who you'll meet um, sometime soon. But Matthew um, is a young guy. He's the son of a friend of ours. And Matthew is part of the New Wine Cymru team. Uh, he's part of our, the apostolic team that covers our region here. And uh, he is full of faith. And he has seen countless people healed on the streets as he lays hands on them, as he chats to them, and just says, you know, you look as though you're in pain. There's something not quite right. Are you okay? Can I pray for your healing? And people at bus stops, people uh, in town, people in the shops, he just walks with his eyes open and he listens to God and then he speaks to people and he prays for their healing and they get healed. Well, he noticed that I had a problem with my hands and, um, and so he prayed for my hands. I have um, carpal tunnel syndrome in both my hands. Uh, well, actually, I had carpal tunnel syndrome. I had carpal tunnel syndrome in both hands, uh, which is like trigger finger. Uh, for some of you, don't, I don't know if you know what that is. If I close my fist really tight and then go to open it quickly, then my fingers lock and I, and I, I can't move them and I have to flick them open with my other hand. And it's just uncomfortable. And, um, and so he's prayed for me. He's laid hands on me. He's prayed for me. And one hand is completely healed. One hand is completely healed. The other hand is not yet. Why? Why, God? Why couldn't you just do both at the same time? I was there. They were both in the same place when he prayed. They both got the problem. God, why? Why have I still got this frustration in my right hand? If it was in my left hand, it wouldn't be so bad because I don't use that as much. But my, in my right hand, God, and so I've got wise. No, I haven't got wise. I've got why. Why, God? Why? And, um, and, I, and I have to make sure that I don't think God can't deal with my right hand. Because he hasn't dealt with my right hand. I have to hold on to the fact and the truth that he can. And that he can. And that he can. And that he can. And that I don't allow the lack of his power at work in my right hand to cause me to stumble. And to think that he's limited. Or to think that there's a problem with Bill. That I'm only worth one hand being helped. And not two hands being helped. Is that okay? We need to understand that if we doubt and if we question why 
with an arrogance and an expectation, we can stumble because we will judge God by his lack of action. When he says, Bill, it's not your way, it's my way. And John has to learn that. But then Jesus does something really interesting. So he says to the disciples, just go and tell John what you've seen. Go and tell him and encourage him not to lose heart, not to stumble, because blessed is the man who doesn't stumble because of me. So blessed is the man who doesn't actually fall over, give up following Jesus because he hasn't fulfilled their expectation. And I have met too many people who've given up following Jesus because he hasn't fulfilled their expectation. And so they just surrender. Well, he's not who he says he is because my son, that happened to him, or my situation didn't change, or those circumstances came to pass. And suddenly we're judging, and suddenly we're, he can't be who he says he is. Mm. And that's a shame. Because John is talked about by Jesus. He says in verse 7, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will will prepare your way before you. Jesus goes on, he says, I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Let's just pause for a moment. What? What? John the Baptist, the greatest man who has ever lived, he's the greatest kingdom of God man you could ever encounter, and yet he's going to pale into insignificance He's going to become surpassed by the least of you? What on earth does that mean? What does that mean? This is my thinking. John the Baptist had a limited experience of Jesus. He knew him. He's his cousin. He knew him. And he's in prison, and he ends up, in a couple of, verse, couple of chapters later from this point, He loses his head. He dies. He's not set free from prison. He doesn't get to see the fulfillment of the kingdom being established through Jesus' death and resurrection. He doesn't get to see that. Well, not from this scene of time. Maybe he glimpses it when he peeps over the parapet of heaven. Not sure if that happens. I don't know. But but he didn't see that. But you and I do. The disciples around Jesus got to see that, got to experience that, got to, and that elevates you in your faith position because you can, from our position now, we can look back and we can see and we can brag about his death and resurrection. And that elevates us according to Jesus. And from the time John the Baptist was preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. 
And that speaks for itself. I mean, John the Baptist was being assaulted. Jesus was assaulted. The disciples were pressurized and assaulted, martyred. But the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is advancing. And nothing can hold it back. For before John came, all the prophets and the laws of Moses looked forward to, his pre- to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Should listen and understand. Listen. He is who he says he is. And he doesn't come to do your bidding. He calls you to do his bidding. And when you, when you begin to live your life in that way, saying, not my way, but yours, it's modeled by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he says, Father, and he's sweating blood, Father, and he's looking at the cross, and he knows the isolation that's coming because of sin that's going to come upon him, and the Father's presence is going to kind of step back. And he knows all of that, and he says, if there's another way, it would be great, Dad, But listen, I'm not here to do my bidding. I'm here to do yours. It's my expectation is to fulfill your expectation. That's what I expect to do with my life is to fulfill your expectation of me. And for those of us that hear, then we need to hear and try and understand. Why is okay? But understand this. It's not your will, but his it's not his way. It's not your way. It's his way. To what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs. That's my kiddie childish voice. We, we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. And what Jesus is doing here is saying, listen, you behaved in a certain way and you expect me to dance to your tune. And no, I'm not dancing to your tune. I'm here to dance to my father's tune. And my father's tune is the tune that I listen to, that I hear. And that's what I'm going to set my steps to. And that's what you and I need to understand is our, is our challenge in this, in this time. When all around us there's confusion and disappointment and frustration, unfulfilled expectations. We expect our parliamentarians to be righteous and do good, and, and when suddenly we find that actually they're feather in their own nests and they're quite kind of corrupt and untrustworthy. Not all of them, not all of them, but suddenly we, we have a, an expectation of those in, in positions of authority, and it's smashed time and time and time and time and time again to destroy your trust in authority. And so when the church says you need to submit to an authority, not this authority, but to this authority, it's like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. He doesn't fulfill my expectations. And for John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, you say. He pos- he, he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man comes, on the other hand, and feasts and drinks. And you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So you say he's like this. He can't win. He's like that there. And then he, he should be like this. 
And then he is like this, and he should be like that. And we actually find we're unsettled because our expectations are not being met. And Jesus says, listen, wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So when you see, when you see Jesus doing things, you see that his way is right because your action, let me put it in my way, my words. You tell me you have faith, then I'm going to watch how you live. Because the wisdom of your words, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, I trust Jesus. Because if you change the word faith and say, you know, I have faith in Jesus, but if you change the word and say, I have trust in Jesus, well, then I might be able to see more clearly how deeply you trust him. Do you trust him? Do you trust him even when you're sick and unwell and things aren't going well in this limited body of Bill's? Do you trust Bill? Do you trust me? Can you trust me to just touch one hand and not the other? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Mm. Mm. Yeah, okay. But I expected both hands to be healed. Yeah, but Bill, I'm going to use it as an illustration. Yeah, I've just made that bit up because I, I don't know. He hasn't spoken to me. I'm just trusting that the day is coming when this trigger finger is gone. Because I'm trusting him. You see, wisdom is proved right, right by what happens. So if you've got wisdom to actually listen and obey him, it'll be seen. And your life will be right before him. And it will be seen by other people. Jesus, uh, let me cut to the quick. Jesus hasn't come to give you a great, pain-free, perfect life. He hasn't. Yeah, Yeah, I get it. I get it, yeah. He came to expose himself to evil so that evil could be defeated. So that death and hell and Satan and sin could be done for, for eternity. I don't know if you're like me, but I, maybe, maybe the, some of the guys might be like me. Uh, I grew up watching Saturday afternoon wrestling, okay, with uh, Big Daddy, uh, Giant Haystacks, uh, Kendo Nagasaki. Never saw his face. Uh, yeah, some of you are nodding, yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up with rest, Saturday afternoon. Um, Ellen and Mum would come back from their Saturday shopping where they'd been trying on clothes all over town. And they'd come back. They'd come back, and me and my brothers would be in the living room, four o'clock. I think it was four o'clock. The wrestling would come on. And they would arrive back, and they would come with American wine gums. No, yeah, wine gums. American, uh, American hard gums and wine gums. From Marks and Spencer's. Oh, and the bottle of sherry for the girls. But we'd sit and watch the wrestling, eating these sweets. And so I, I kind of quite like wrestling. Um, and uh, I found uh, that there's um, uh, an area of mixed martial, art, of martial arts, jiu-jitsu, that's on the internet. And so I kind of got hooked into watching a guy called uh, Gordon Ryan. And um, 
Uh, did you have you seen him? No. Oh, it, it's it, it's uh, yeah. I think it's there's a lot of Brazilians do it. But anyway, he's an American guy. He's 24 years old. His nickname is the King. The King. He's all muscle. Um, he's got a big beard and shaved hair. You shaved completely shaved, apart from the top. And I'm not giving you ideas, by the way. Uh, <laughs> for my next haircut. <laughs> But um, he is, um, he is, I think he's been, he's unbeaten in this last 50-odd bouts. And he is a megastar in the wrestling world. And, um, and I like it because it's not violent, but it's, it's tactical. It's really tactical. And I watched him the other, afternoon, uh, other evening. Um, I watched him do this exhibition 15-minute bout with the number two best wrestler in the world because he's rated number one and so this was an exhibition bout so they could submit they could get a submission and instead of the game the the wrestling being over they would carry on for the whole of the 15 minutes and um and so within within a minute and a half this guy has got a submission on the uh, on the number two wrestler Okay, he gets them to submit. They tap out, they call it. And so they start wrestling again. And then the commentators are saying, oh, look at what, look at what Ryan's doing. He's exposing his back to the opponent. He's exposing himself. He's putting himself in vulnerable positions to prove how good he is at getting out of any hold his opponent can put him in. Because that, that's his brag. Nobody can defeat me, he says. And so he does. He's there exposing himself in his wrestling moves, making himself vulnerable. And the other person is moving in and trying to get him in a, in a headlock or a footlock or a leg lock or an arm lock. And Ryan just smoothly moves out of the way. It gets out of the, the entanglements uh, that he's got himself into. And as I was just preparing this morning, just thinking about what I'm going to try and say to you this morning is, this is what Jesus does. The real king, he comes and submits himself, makes himself vulnerable to death and hell and Satan and sin to prove that he is the king. That no matter what bind you try and get me in, I will get out of it. So he's trapped by a crowd who want to stone him. And it says he walked through the crowd. He can get out of anything. And I think... That's who I worship. That's who I follow. That's the one I want to be known to be a follower of. The king. The king. The real king. The king of kings. The lord of lords. And that amazing, amazing gesture of love is why I follow him. Because he came willingly to put himself in a place of vulnerability. So all of my questions, why, why this? Why that? Why not this? Why? It all just pales into insignificance when I think, actually, I don't care why. I'm going to follow you come hell or high water. I'm in this hook, line, and sinker. You got me. You got me. You got me when I experienced your love for me. When I realized that you, and it's summed up in John 15 where Jesus says, uh, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends 
He laid down his life for me. So no matter what my why, no matter what confusion I have because of my expectations of what Jesus Jesus should be like, he should have saved my brothers by now. He should have transformed Lanethi by now. He should have set prisoners free. There should be no drug addicts in our community because they've encountered Jesus' followers and the power of God in them has set them free. Why hasn't that happened? Why, uh, why do I know more people that used to be here than are still here? That are going nowhere with God? Why? 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 I could allow my unfulfilled expectations to cripple me and give up and say it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I share my heart with people. I pour out the love of God to people and they embrace it and then a year, two, five later, they've turned their back on him and they've turned their back on us. And I think, why? Why? What's the point? The point is that he gave his life for me. And I've given my life to him. Because his love, his love was poured out for me. And I want to brag about that love. Whether you choose to listen, whether you really hear, or whether you will look and see, that's your choice. That's your choice. Whoever you are, that's your choice. We follow him because of what he has done, not because of what he will do for me. It's all about him. It's all about what he's done. And that's, that's what I want to say to you. It's what he's done that matters. It's who he is that matters. Your expectations, be careful with them. Be real with them. If he doesn't fulfill your expectation, adjust your expectation. Adjust it. I'm not saying don't have expectations. I had expectations of both hands being healed when Matt prayed for me because I know of his stories of praying for those who are ill and sick and in pain. And I, I know that there is a power working through it. I know that when Martin prays for people, there's an extraordinary thing that happens. Why doesn't it happen when I pray for people? Well, it's because he has more faith in you, Bill. No, I don't think he does. I think we have the same faith. That Jesus died for us and set us free. And so your whys are okay, but be wise about your whys. I should write that down, shouldn't I? That's a good one, that is. You need to be wise. But you need to also understand that he died for you. Why? Why did you die for me? Because I love you, Bill. Because I love you. Insert your own name. He loves you. And he's never stopped loving you. And he never will stop loving you. No matter what situation and circumstances you find yourself in. So John wasn't redeemed from the prison. But God, the son of God, the king of kings, loved John. Still loves John. You're wise. You're wise if you look at your wise and act wisely because your wisdom will be seen to be right as you follow him with all of your life. Okay, so don't doubt. 
I heard this once, and I kind of try and say it to myself regularly. Uh, we should doubt our doubts, and we should believe our beliefs. Doubt your doubts, question your doubts, and believe your beliefs. What do you believe? He died on a cross. His death and resurrection is a real historical event, and it has eternal consequences for you and me. So live in light of that. Live in light of that. And let's see the kingdom of God advance. Go after those who've been undone by their expectations not being fulfilled. Talk to them. Love them. Jesus doesn't criticize John when John says, are you really the Messiah? He says, listen, he's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. And it's okay to ask why. It's okay to ask why. But you need to listen to the answers, John and Bill, and insert your own name. You need to listen to his answers. What do you see him doing? Do you see him healing people, saving people, changing people? There's people in this room that are completely different to the people I first met. Completely transformed. It's extraordinary. And if you knew me years ago, maybe you might say I'm different. So I'm going to pray. Still trust him. Still hope in him. Still believe in him. But let his ways be his ways. And stop trying to make him dance to your tune. So Father, here we are. Thank you for the power of your love at work in us that was demonstrated by the cross is manifested by the gift of your spirit in us that there is a hope that is beyond anything that we can hope in earthly in the earthly sense but we have an eternal hope a blessed assurance that your love is calling us to you and when we doubt and when we question, your love is sufficient to steer us through our doubts and questions. Help us to hold on to you and to trust you in all, in all of life's challenges and situations, disappointments and frustrations, that your kingdom would come and be seen in us as the wisdom of your love changes the way we choose to live. And it will be for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.